Good morning, Gator Nation, and welcome to episode 11 of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Dustin Smith, and you can follow me on Twitter at I-A-K-O-W Dustin. I've also got In All Kinds of Weather creator and lead writer, Neil Schulman, with us today, and you can follow him at All Kinds Weather. And of course, we got contributor Casey Hampton with us today as well. How's everyone doing today? I'm doing well, man. Uh, good to see the Gators back in the swamp. Shout out to the 16,000, 15,000, whatever it was. Um, shout out to the fraction of the capacity crowd that was allowed in there. Y'all were great. Good to see the Gators 2-0. and um, They're doing better than my Giants are, so it's good to have at least one of my teams succeeding on the field. Um, Casey, how are you doing? You know, I'm good. I'm good. My uh, my Jaguars have ruined my Sunday, but, uh, you know, they're going to pick the, a punter with their number one pick with the uh, NFL draft next year. You know, they'll skip Trevor Lawrence and pick a punter with the number one kick just because that's the most Jaguar thing to do. Yeah, well, speaking of mismanagement, Florida faced a team yesterday that I think specialized in that, and that's Woo. and I think that's a good segue into our main topic of discussion today. Yeah, well – uh, as uh, Casey mentioned last time around, he attended the Ole Miss game. And, of course, I attended the game against South Carolina in the swamp. And it was definitely a different experience. It wasn't too loud. didn't really sound like the swamp um, on top of it only having about fifteen to, to 16,000 people. People didn't really want to scream with the mask on. Um, and even those that did – probably were disappointed by their ability to carry their sound through the stadium. Anyhow, Neil, since Casey went to the Ole Miss game and I went to the South Carolina game, we need to get you at a game this season at some point. I don't point. think so, man. I don't think that's going to happen. Because you got to remember, I live uh, just outside New York City, so I got to – that's – that's either two plane rides for me or a plane ride to Orlando or Jacksonville. And then I got to drive 90 minutes plus. So that's, uh, that's not just flights. That's a rental car. That's a hotel. That's all kinds of expenses that I don't know that I'm really willing to make right now. At this point, I'm saving up for next season. Maybe, maybe if we get to the national championship in Miami, I can swing that because that's just one flight and, um, you know, I'm, I'm friends with the Houston, so they might be able to give me a ride over or something. I can probably stay with any of a variety of relatives I've got. So maybe I'll swing that. But aside from that, I don't think it's happening this year. Well, on the other, the other side of things, the fact that you get to stay where you're at, you kind of have a command center type perspective on Gator football. You, you get to, of course, watch it on television, which may not be the same experience as being at the game, but you you get really a bird's eye view. I mean, I was at four games each of the last two years. I made it down for Charleston Southern, Kentucky, LSU, and Missouri in 18. I made it for four games last year as well, three in the swamp. I made it for Towson and Auburn. I stayed the week in between, which I also did between Charleston Southern and Kentucky in 2018. Mm -hmm. um, I then made it down for Vanderbilt, which is the Gator good game, which I'll talk about in a second, of course, as I do every podcast. And I made it down for the Orange Bowl in Miami, thanks to my aforementioned connections. Um, I got family there and the family of Florida linebacker James Houston, who's going to get a shout out later in the show because he made a phenomenal play. But anyway, yeah, so sponsor time. Got to take care of those guys. First, got to give a shout out to the Gator Good Foundation, which 
if you're new to this podcast, is a nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. We've been reduced to a virtual campaign for 2020, but we are looking for candidates to provide that virtual experience too. So if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. That is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Second, shout out to our sponsor, Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it's a veteran-owned business. Of course, you got to thank our troops, and I can't think of a better way to do that than by giving them business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator. So yeah, they do great work, but they do great work, and they're owned by a Florida Gator who happens to be a United States veteran. So yeah, there you go. Got to give them your business when you have the choice. So to learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. So with our sponsorship requirements satisfied, let's talk some Gator football. And before we get into our main discussion today about what we saw on the field the last time the Gators took the field, real quick, we've got to acknowledge a piece of off-field news that will one day transform into on-the-field news, and that is the arrival of Demarcus Bowman to the University of Florida. This was a five-star running back prospect out of Lakeland High School. A lot of people thought he would come to Florida out of Lakeland. Clemson beat us out for him, but then his grandfather died. And as first broken by Gators territory, he has decided that he wants to be closer to his family. So we entered the portal a few days ago. As I said on Twitter, I sort of hinted at this. People usually, like 85 to 90% of the time, I would say, enter the transfer portal with a specific destination in mind. You don't just enter the portal to get out of a certain school. Sometimes you do, but not usually. And sure enough, during halftime in the game on Saturday, news broke that he was going to transfer to Florida. So we'll have a lot more analysis of this transfer when we do our next big recruiting pod. We'll talk about it a little bit later on in the week. But for now, I think it's important to note two quick things. One, it doesn't matter if Dan Mullen inks a kid out of high school or gets him on a redirect through the transfer portal because the stats and plays that the kid makes count just the same either way. And two, I know that Greg Knox is a lot of fans' favorite target for abuse, and I know that Bowman wanted to play closer to home, but he does have a strong relationship with Knox, And so I'm not sure he would have come to Florida if he didn't have that relationship. I mean, in theory, he could have gone to Miami, which is also somewhat close to Lakeland, his home, but he liked Knox throughout his recruitment process. And that's a big part of why he came to Florida. I'm not going to say it's the only reason why, but it was a big part of the reason he decided to transfer to Florida. So Knox does get a few bonus points for that. And anyway, I think I've been talking long enough. So time to pass the torch back over to our host, Dustin. And Neil, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think it, I think this is a super big get for the Florida Gators and Dan Mullen and, of course, uh, Greg Knox, who, as we have both been very vocal about and, and uh, transparent about it, it's been disturbing how barren we've been in the Department of Recruiting Running Backs. And 
Demarcus Bowman is he's electric. He's the running back that we've been eyeing for the last two to three years. The okay, he's a guy the Gators are gonna get. All the issues we've been having in that area will be solved by him. And when he decided to commit to Clemson instead of Florida, that was a devastating blow to the optics of recruiting at the University of Florida. And the fact that the tide has turned, the fact that he's transferring back to the Gators, it it takes a 2020 recruiting class that was good. It was one of our best classes that we've had since Muschamp put together those, those good classes in his early tenure at Florida, which we'll talk more about that guy later on in this show. But that class, I, I think it's borderline elite. You have, of course, Wingo. You got a five-star in Dexter, which we'll talk about when looking at the, the South Carolina game. Um, but now you have a guy like Bowman, who is also five-star. I think it's going to make that 2020 class elite or borderline elite. And I believe when Bowman starts playing in, in the 2021 season, we're going to see exactly why we were, number one, so disappointed when he decided to commit to Clemson and also why we're so excited and glad that he's a Gator. So, Neil, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm always happy to discuss recruiting. We could go on forever on that. But let's go ahead and dive right into the task at hand or – I should say, the Trask at hand, and talk about the South Carolina game. Dustin with the dad jokes. Dustin with the dad (laughs) jokes. So Florida, indeed, played South Carolina and the Fighting Will Muschamps, and Florida, indeed, Did they really fight, though? Did they really? South Carolina. They fought 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 to cover the spread. And they fought the clock. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) So, folks, going forward, we're going to plan to release two episodes per week. The first episode will be a recap of the previous game, and the next episode will be a preview of the next game. We're going to have a Monday release of a recap of the previous game and a Wednesday release of a preview of the following game. We may have something special when we have our bye week, but we'll discuss those plans later. Now let's get right into it. You know, you guys are listening for the task at hand to discuss this South Carolina game, or as I should say, the Trask at hand. Again? I, I, you know, you with the dad jokes. Okay, that's, that's, that's three on a Sunday, you're done. You've used your allotment, Dustin. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna you're say done. you're That's you're it. a little. Too, I was gonna say you're a little too young to be you're cut off bringing cut out off. the dad jokes so early and so early in the in the episode too. I thought you'd sprinkle them out or something. Um, yeah, so I think the negative stuff is always less fun to talk about, but we've got to do it. You can't ignore it. So let's do that first. We're also we're we're going to have Debbie Downer Schumann talk, yeah, but we're also going to sure. have some good takeaways here. Well, you got to do both, man. Keep it respectful, but keep it real. The motto of this podcast. So that means we got to talk to both the good and the bad. So again, the bad stuff is less fun. So let's get that well, out of the way. Well, let's go ahead and preface, Neil. I'm glad that we're, we're discussing this because Dan Mullins made it evidently clear the expectation this year is to compete for championships. And sure. the only way you're going to compete for championships is if you're beating the likes of Georgia, and if the Gators are fortunate enough to beat Georgia and, and win all, if not nine, at least nine of their games, they'll, they'll probably end up playing Alabama. you got to beat them too if you want to compete for national championships. And right now, you're about to get into it, but the question remains, can the Gators play 
at that championship level caliber. So, Neil, what are your thoughts? Well, well, what we saw yesterday, I don't think was a championship caliber team. I think what we saw yesterday might have been a fringe uh, New Year's Six team, probably not even the Sugar Bowl, which gets the first pick of SEC teams to not make the playoff. I think that Florida team might be uh, maybe Orange Bowl, although the Sugar Bowl is a playoff game this year. But, I mean, Florida would probably be an at-large team in the New Year's Six this year with the way they played yesterday. We're just two games in. So there's still a lot of time for the defense to get better, but this defense has a lot of things it has to clean up if Florida wants to make that leap from a New Year's Six team to a playoff team. The tackling, it was maybe slightly better than it was against Mississippi, but maybe a part of that is that Mississippi just has much better athletes than South Carolina does, who are just harder to tackle than the guys that Carolina has. The issue didn't get solved against the Gamecocks. I was hoping it would. It didn't happen. Part of that was the guy's approach to the ball carriers. Florida didn't really set the edge very well and took some bad angles. But some of this was just a case of having guys less than an arm's length away and not being able to bring them to the ground. And again, Florida's going to face teams that have far more athleticism in their skill positions than South Carolina, like next week, for example, against Texas A&M. So yeah, cause for concern there. I'll, I'll grant Casey a little mea culpa in that last week he made a big stink about there being a distinction between a concern and a problem. I maybe it, it may be too early to call it a problem. It is definitely a cause for concern. And the defense as a whole wasn't good, not just on third down, not just on fourth down, but on first and second down. There were a few individual plays here and there where we got some push, but on the whole, Carolina was able to run the ball between the tackles for four or five yards of pop on us pretty consistently. And, and that's, Definitely not a trend that can continue when we're facing teams with more threatening methods of moving the ball down the field than just your standard HB dive plays. So, yeah, that those are my negative takeaways. How about you, Casey? So the run defense was a problem. It just not to harp on what you said, but the run defense is 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 most definitely a problem. Um, we've got we've got some issues, especially with smaller running backs. So Fenwick, their running back, is a problem. Uh, he just gashed uh, the Gators left and right. And that happened last week with Ely at, at Ole Miss. The Gators' run defense is now a significant concern. It was a concern last week. It is now going to a significant concern. And it will be a problem next week if uh, Spiller and Smith from A&M just – I peered in on the A&M Alabama game – or the A&M Alabama massacre, Spiller and Smith are going to be problems if we cannot tighten up that run defense. I know we're missing some starters, and I know we're not at full strength, but the fact is even our second string should be able to stop a team like South Carolina on the run. Um, that's, that's a problem. But I think the bigger issue for me beyond that, we played like the game was ended with eight minutes left in the fourth. You know, our guys are just walking. They're shuffling off the field. There's no pressure on the South Carolina quarterback. There was no stopping the run. Um, and we were allowing even, you know, throws in the flat or curl routes to occur for a gain of five or six yards. You can't do that against a good team. And I'm not – South Carolina, I think their main problem is their coach. I think the talent's there to be a in a normal year – an eight and five team. The talent is there maybe to be a seven and six, eight and five team. Let, let's face it. Um, A&M, I know they didn't look good against Alabama, but that's going to be our toughest game yet. 
Um, we have ratcheted up game after game. Um, you know, Ole Miss, I really didn't expect a problem. South Carolina, I knew they were better than Ole Miss. But A&M, even for as bad as they looked, uh, the run game is a significant concern in the effort, the amount of effort that we played when we were up by two scores. You've got to keep the foot on the gas, guys. I think a part of that was – and we're going to get into this because – I'm going to uh, give a spoiler alert. This is going to be my tweet that I read on the air, but someone else made a point of this because this is a very, a very common takeaway from the game. South Carolina did not show any interest in winning the game in down the stretch. They, they just didn't, but, but nonetheless, you're, you're not wrong about that. So, and Neil, I'll bring up the point that you and I talked about yesterday that I, you know, I called Neil after the game yesterday and I said, you know, Maybe there is something to Dan Mullen wanted to try something new or try something different or exotic, you know, that where Kyle Trask tried to run it and he fumbled the ball when it was working perfectly fine throwing it, you know, maybe Dan Mullen just wanted to try something new and that involved taking the foot off the gas because we didn't have those tuna games. We didn't have Eastern Washington. We didn't have South Alabama to do different things with against opposing defenses. I don't know. I think that you better hope that you're right because any alternative theory is not particularly pleasant to think about. Correct. Correct. And you know, you said it best yesterday. It's probably a coin flip as to who's it's a probably a 50, 50 chance that either we aren't good and we need to get better or we're just saving the playbook and saving the efforts and saving different looks and different things for when our schedule gets really tough against the A&Ms and shout out to Georgia. I mean, that was a hell of a, hell of a performance they had last night against Auburn. And shout out to me for picking Auburn to blow them away. That worked out well. I look like a genius for that, don't I? So Dustin, those are our takeaways. How about you? I really liked some of the plays uh, in the passing game. Plays that really stuck out. Number one, of course, was that Kadaris Tony touchdown, which really, was more so a run than a pass uh, in the sense that Kadaris Tony got the ball relatively close to the line of scrimmage, and then he just made a play. There's literally screenshots all over the internet and, of course, Twitter where there's literally five to six defenders within spitting distance of Kadaris Tony, and he went through and passed all of them and scored a touchdown. So for, for all of the people that were – looking at the, um, the almost breakaway touchdown that he had uh, or could have had against Ole Miss, he definitely showed his breakaway speed against South Carolina. And that is the Kaderis Tony that the Gators need. Now, let me preface by saying Kaderis Tony is no Percy Harvin, but he's definitely an asset to the team. He's definitely playing well, and I look forward to seeing how he continues to improve. Another quick takeaway in terms of the passing game, I really, really was impressed with Trent Whitmore. That guy's a baller. Oh, yeah. I think Trent Whitmore played incredibly well. And, there, and the reason why I bring him up is two specific plays. First and foremost, that touchdown catch was great. Anytime you're, you're scoring a touchdown in a, in a major college football game, I think that's always going to be a big play. But earlier in the game, he made a catch where he literally he literally leaped three to four feet in the air and caught uh, he caught a, a pass from Kyle Trask and credit to Trask he put it in a place where only his guy could catch it but if it wasn't for Trent Whitmore's athleticism that would have been incompletion all the way 
And I think most receivers may not even caught that pass. But Trent Whitmore put his body on the line, let – again, I'm not even joking. He literally jumped three to four feet in the air and caught that pass. And that was a game changer. It put us, it, it put us into the red zone. And in a few plays after that, the Gators ended up scoring. If not, Now, Neil, you're, you're the human encyclopedia when it comes to Gator games. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, it would that a few plays later, Kyle Pitts actually scored his first touchdown. He in, did in the game. Uh, yes, his first of the game, and and by the way, that matched his season total from last year, which he would later eclipse in the game, which is still just astounding to me. But yes, that was a quite a catch by Whitmore, and uh, nice, nice, uh, nice throw from Trask, and a nice job by. With him more to go up and get it and, and make his quarterback look good on the stat sheet. So, so yeah, I know you guys mentioned your your negative thoughts on the game. Let's go ahead and get Neil. Let's let me go ahead and get a positive thought from you because I know we four to one. So it, it couldn't have been all negative. So no. what? Do you have, do you have no, of course not. Again, Dustin forgets about me and goes to Neil. Ooh, someone feels neglected today, huh? I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know, Dustin, I thought I thought we had the Central Florida connection, but you know what, Neil? Go ahead. Go ahead. You'll go, go first ahead. next time, Casey. Casey, you're you're gonna keep saying that, but I'm not sure. Clearly I'm not. not. Sure if, clearly not. I'm, I'm not sure if it's gonna help your situation, man. <laughs> I mean, clearly not. But you, you know what? I, I want to hear what Debbie Down, Debbie Downer Schulman has to say. <laughs> In Casey's defense, we're going to save Casey – we're going to save the best for last. There you go. Okay? Oh, there we go. Right? There you go. Right? Now, Casey, this, this now goes out to Do you feel better about yourself, Casey, now that, 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 you, that, that you, you can now listen to Neil as he breaks down his positive? And you could be like, I'm the best. You know, yeah, Neil's the opening act, and Casey, I'm, I'm just the – yeah. You know, this, grand- this goes to prove to all of our listeners we have fun with our podcasts. We really we do. do. We, so. do. <laughs> we try. We try. <laughs> Particularly on a Sunday, by the way, in which both Casey's NFL team and my NFL team suck. The Whoa. Giants and so, Jaguars are just both just terrible. So we got to get some sort of enjoyment out of this day. Go to your positives. Okay, right? yeah. So my positive is going to make Casey's Debbie Downer nickname for me sound quite accurate. But it, it is really, if you think about it, it is a positive. My main positive takeaway is that Kyle Trask showed he is capable of quarterbacking Florida to victory with his B or his B minus game because he did not play his best game on Saturday. He, he just didn't. He lost a fumble. Granted, that play call made me kind of squint my eyes in confusion. But when you've got the ball in your hand, you can't put it on the ground. And he did. He threw a pick on a play where Tony fell down. It's it's kind of hard to tell for sure, but it, it looked like that ball might have been off target anyway, even if Tony hadn't fallen down. He wasn't quite as accurate as he was against Mississippi last week. Some of his throws were offline, and his receivers had to help him out a little bit more than they did last week. And yet, he went 21 for 29, 268 yards, four touchdowns. I think most reasonable people would agree that qualifies as a healthy stat line. And this was against a solid defense, not a great defense, but a solid one. And that tells me that he doesn't have to play his A plus game. He doesn't have to play his best game to win every single week. It's preferred that he does. That's definitely the route you would prefer to go. 
but that almost never happens in college football in a normal season, let alone in a 10 game SEC only season plus potential postseason after that with no spring practice between the last season and the current season. It's just hard to maintain an A plus level of play every single week against SEC opposition. It's just a fact. Sometimes players and teams have to find ways to win with their B or B minus or even their C games. And I think Trask has shown that he's capable of doing that. I'll take it with, um, it was really nice to see the emergence of the Florida run game. Damian Pierce is a grown man. That guy just was so impressive yesterday. Um, Malik Davis had some good blocks yesterday. It, it was it was really good to see Damian Pierce making runs and making catches that I didn't think were part of his package. So I'm going to say that. Uh, a second positive um, that I'm also going to have is I think our punting game is in good hands. Granted, we only had – we had two punts. So it was uh, – both of them were solid punts. They pinned them deep. Um, and that was something that I worried, you know, that we didn't have a Townsend on our team for the first time in a long time. I think we're okay with Jacob Finn back there. So – and obviously McPherson had a good day as well. But – it was really good to see the offensive line opening up holes for the run game. And Damian Pierce, one of his touchdown runs was incredible. So if the offensive line can continue doing that, then you don't just have to respect Kyle Pitts. You have to respect the Florida run game as well. And that was a problem that we had last year. That was something that really held us back, that we didn't have a run game that you had to respect. So now you've got to worry about Kyle Pitts through the air, but you've also got to worry about Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, Lingard, if he ever finds a way to play. And Naquan Wright had some good blocks yesterday too. Uh, So it was good to see an emergence of a Florida run game yesterday. And shout out DeLance, number 56, the guy who takes a beating from the Florida fan base. He had a key pull block on that touchdown run from Pierce early in the game. He started off on the right side. He's all the way about five or six yards outside of the left hash mark, making a block, driving the guy back as Pierce is just walking untouched into the end zone. There's a reason that Pierce could have crawled to the end zone if you're, you know, if college football would allow people to be on the ground without being touched and be able to continue moving forward. He could have literally crawled to the end zone. And that's because the Lance made a big time block. So shout out to Lance. That was big. That was his first. That was was his first game where he didn't have a penalty of any sort. I don't remember a penalty yesterday for Delance. So you know what? Shout out to Delance. He had a good day yesterday. Good for him. So Neil Casey, thank you for for sharing those those positive takeaways. I know we like to keep it positive on on this podcast. We also like to keep it real. And let's go ahead and dive into a segment that I really enjoy. It's called Hidden Gems. Last week, we spoke about of, of a lot of them. We spoke about Trent Whitmore as a hidden gem. Let's see if, uh, if another, another uh, breakout player gets into it with you guys. Neil, what was your hidden gem? Or actually, no, no, let's go Casey first. Casey, what's uh, your hidden gem for this game? I, you know, I just need to recover, you know, I mean, being called on first. I mean, it's like, I feel like I'm not in elementary school, not being picked for dodgeball first. So this is, this is, uh, I just need a moment to, to just, just sit with this. But uh, thanks, Dustin. You know, I feel like they like me. They really, really like me. I'm going to say uh, a hidden gem that I really was not expecting to have the day that he had. Sean Davis um, bounced back yesterday and I realized that Sean Davis, it, we don't think of as a hidden gem, but you know he got ejected for 
targeting last week at Ole Miss, but he had a good day. I mean, he was flying all over the field. He had seven total tackles, and he had hand in 1.5 sacks yesterday. So um, Sean Davis had an incredible day yesterday. Very nice. So I have two hidden gems. Well, really three. The first two go together. First two are James Houston and Andrew Chatfield. These are two guys on the defense that maybe aren't getting talked about a lot. Guys like Zach Carter and Davis, like you mentioned, get a lot of the ink. And when they don't, it's Ventrell Miller and Amari Bernie getting the attention. But these guys got their chance to shine against South Carolina. Houston had a sore hamstring that he was nursing, and he didn't play last week while Chatfield was sort of buried on the depth chart last year. They've been really chomping at the bit to get their moments in the swamp, and, and they got them. Houston, on one play yesterday, just completely disemboweled Deshaun Fenwick, the running back who was foolish Dis- enough. Wow. Disemboweled him. Oh, yeah. Use that SAT word, Neil. I, so, I, I will. So, um, in Neil's defense, if you actually watch the play, you, you will see with gruesome detail exactly why Neil used that diction. Oh, it was Neil, violent. I mean, it was absolutely violent. Houston, it was, it was yeah. phenomenal. That, that was a matchup of a grown man versus a four-year-old. It was just <laughs> not a fair <laughs> oh. contest between the two. And Ooh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Deshaun Fenwick was foolish enough to try to pick him up on a blitz, and, and Houston just ran him over and got a sack of Colin Hill, which, by the way, he was on his stomach. James Houston was lying on his stomach after, like, rolling over Deshaun Fenwick got an arm out, and tripped up Hill for a sack. And Chatfield, shout out to you too. You got a big sack down by the goal line later in that drive. South Carolina would score on the very next play. But shout out to you guys for waiting your turn to become featured pieces of the defense and making big plays when you got the chance. And the third in gem, I've, I've had enough of hearing how great of a defensive mind Will Muschamp is. It's not just because he was responsible for the single worst defensive performance in Gator history, giving up 672 yards of total offense to Alabama in 2014. It's not because he gave up 429 yards on the ground to Georgia Southern, even though you knew that the triple option was the one and only thing they were going to do all day. No, it's because in three head-to-head matchups between Dan Mullen and Will Muschamp in this Florida-South Carolina series – Muschamp's defense has been utterly dominated. Mullen's offense has, in these three games, put up an average of 410 yards and 37 points. That is simply not something that an elite defensive mind allows to happen. And keep in mind, Florida's offense took the whole fourth quarter off on Saturday. And they really didn't display any interest in scoring down the stretch. So, yeah, I think that narrative's done. As Casey said last week, he had some good defenses at LSU under Saban. He had a good run as the D.C. of Texas in 2008 and 2009. But over the last decade or so, every time he faces an elite or even a very good offense, his defense just gets fried. So for me, that's the end of that theory. So I'll hop back onto that. His clock management, I mean, that drive that took seven and a half minutes for him, and they had zero hurry on that. I've never seen somebody live off of two above average years at Texas. Like, right. These were not like defenses that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. He had two above average years at Texas. LSU in 03 was very good. Uh, And they still, but but yes, the point, the point (laughs) remains, the point remains, but you know, 
I've just never seen somebody continually fall up into jobs. I mean, look at when he left Florida and he ended up at Auburn. Auburn had a terrible, I mean, I think they were 7-6 the one year he was there. I mean, they weren't that good. No, they, they really weren't. I mean, they gave up 422 yards a game that year, which was 91st in the country out of 129 FBS teams. And that included giving up 420 yards to Jacksonville State. Well, and they went to overtime to Jacksonville State. Right. So I don't know what there is left to say about Will Muschamp. I, I, I just – I don't understand the attitude that Will Muschamp is a competent head coach in the Southeastern Conference. You, you can tell that Casey and I have a lot of repressed feelings for Will Muschamp. This is a segment called Hidden Gems, and here we are just turning it into a roast of Will Muschamp. Uh, Dustin, I don't believe you've given us your hidden gems, so what have you got? All right, guys, I was very impressed with Xavier Henderson's catch. There's a 23-yard reception, and he made a great play in the ball and and, and got it in. And I think that I, I would consider him to be a hidden gem because although he was our highest-rated receiver uh, coming in the 2020 recruiting class, it's still important to see those players play to – their potential and the fact that he's already making plays this early on in his career uh, says a lot about his work ethic and the faith that Dan Mullen and the staff have in his playing ability. So he's a hidden gem. I hope by the end of the season, uh, he's not just a hidden gem, but a big time playmaker in this offense. So we've shared for almost 40 minutes on what, what our thoughts are. We want to, we want to listen and, and discuss what your thoughts are. We asked people on Twitter to put out their their thoughts in the game, and we're and we're each gonna pick one, and we're gonna read on the air, and we're gonna discuss it. Casey, go ahead and give us your tweet. So I'm going to go with Davis Hagen, D Hagen ten on Twitter. Our defense was reminiscent of the Georgia game last year, not allowing a ton of points or yards, but unable to come up with stops when they needed to, resulting in them not getting off the field and getting the time of possession stat dominated. Offense looked good until the fourth quarter when Mullen decided to get cute, when we probably should have tried to run it down their mouths. Um, That's true. Will Muschamp teams tend to always dominate the time of possession. If you look at when he was coach at Florida, those were tended to be one of the stats that we would win is the time of possession. Even if we didn't win the game, we won the time of possession. That's the style of ball that he plays, smash mouth, clock chewing drives. And that's why you saw a lot of the run game yesterday with them versus the passing game. So that's a hallmark of the Will Muschamp offense. Uh, And I agree, it very much reminded me, uh, the defense did enough to keep them in the game, but maybe not to win the game. But I'm also gonna give a shout out to Christopher Zellman, G8RMET. Georgia fans are super spreaders. Uh, they totally are. During their game, ESPN said they had a 21% stadium capacity. I call total BS on that. Their fans were not social distancing. They were not wearing masks. There were a ton of people in there. And Georgia fans just said, well, who cares? We won the game. So um, science doesn't care who wins the game. So going to be interested to check in on that in a week or so. But yes, Georgia fans are super spreaders. The Southeastern Conference and Greg Sankey will most likely ignore that. But I am very glad we are playing Georgia in a neutral site so our fans don't get exposed to their stupidity. So that is my one and only rant. All right. So shout out, shout out at Bob, 
Bob, and Casey too. Shout out to you because we both picked the same one. Casey and I literally played a virtual rock, paper, scissors with Dustin officiating over the Zoom to see which one of us would get to be the one to read it on the air, and I won. True. But anyway, on to Bob's tweet. He says, thankfully, Muschamp doesn't know anything about clock management on the last SC drive. Otherwise, it could have been a real crash. Taking 25, 30 seconds between plays and a running clock? How must champion? And I'm choosing that comment because I thought the exact same thing. Clearly, Casey did too. I'm frequently left with an opinion of that nature after watching his teams play because I don't respect him as a coach. But I went after Muschamp enough in my last little soliloquy that I figured – it, it was time to let someone else be the bad guy and roast him. So, yeah, that is objectively inexcusable. I, I think most people who watched the game on Saturday would agree that with a competent coach on the other sideline, one who showed any semblance of interest in getting back into the game, Florida would have been in some real trouble the way that, the way that defense played down the stretch. Thankfully, that wasn't the case. But you know what? Hey, at least he knows what a midline is, right? I'm going to make a bold prediction. This is the last time we face Will Muschamp as a head coach at South Carolina. I think there is a coin flip chance of you being right, and the only reason you'd be wrong is because COVID gives him a blanket. Uh, Excuse. uh, No, no, COVID doesn't judge the clock. And the way he has managed the clock the last two weeks. I mean, the man kicked a field goal in the red zone last week when he needed to go for seven. COVID has nothing to do with that. If that's the case, Muschamp is going to finish out one and four against Florida. So that's that that that's pretty Muschamp. That's about that it. one loss, we were very competitive in that one loss. I mean, we hey, could have won that game. If Hendo doesn't fumble on what should have been a pick six, that game might have played out very differently. And yep. Yeah. So real quick, just to kind of go off what you guys have been saying before I get into a uh, a tweet. When it, when it comes to South Carolina, they only had 329 total yards of offense. They threw the ball 47 times, and the yards per pass was 4.5. That's, that's awful. 4.5 yards per pass. Per attempt, by the way, not per reception, per attempt. Per attempt. Per attempt. Ouch. Per pass. So every time the ball left the hands of the quarterback, yes. Exactly. Fact, you know, I had a tweet yesterday, and I said it's probably going to be the most underrated tweet of the day. Can we all just be thankful this Sunday that he is not our head coach anymore? Yes. Oh, I thank God every day. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because that's the tweet that I wanted to put in there. I'll go ahead and read this one from Marvin Cohen. Our defense was vulnerable at times, especially late in the game. Our offense, on the other hand, was pretty impressive with Kyle Trask, consistent at quarterback, besides his two turnovers, with the exception of the fourth quarter. And I, and I want to I wanna comment to that. Number one, we already mentioned the, the vulnerability of the defense. I thought, I agree, Kyle Trask played pretty well, pretty consistent. As far as the fourth quarter, there was another comment uh, that Davis Hagan brought out. You already mentioned him, so I didn't want to bring him out twice. But he, he mentioned Mullen wanted to get a little cute. I believe that's what he did and ended up costing him with Kyle Trask throwing the interception. But yeah, that's, that's what I would, that's my comments to that tweet. So quick shout out again to Marvin Cohen. Thank you for, for following. Um, I'm not sure if you were actually the first person to comment, but 
on my feed, you're actually the first comment there. So that is surely a testament to your enthusiasm for this podcast and following us. So Marvin, thanks. Thanks a lot for that. I, I want to add one point to what Marvin said. I, I agree. You know, we only had 53 plays and they had 80 over 80 plays. We do need to work on our tackling. I, I, I think that's wrapping guys up and getting them at the line of scrimmage because Texas A&M has a perfect game plan. And I saw yesterday against Alabama in finding spaces and holes along the defensive line. I'm worried that our run defense needs to improve a lot and in a hurry. I think you're right. I think when it comes to the defense, specifically what needs to improve is filling gaps better. I think we did a much better job at stopping explosive plays. In fact, the longest run they had from scrimmage, them being South Carolina, was 11 yards. So anytime anytime you're, you're preventing your opponent from getting explosive plays in the run game, that's always an excellent thing, I think. I think any coach would be proud of that. Um, but again, when you're allowing – and what South Carolina did is they're pretty consistent in getting two, three, four, five-yard runs. And over the course of a game for almost 40 minutes of time possession, that can really wear down a defense. So if we're fitting our gaps, if we're not allowing the opposing offensive line to impose their will, I think the Gators are going to do well. So one last piece of business before we call it a show. We didn't get to fit this in last week because of time constraints. We're going to finish every post-game recap with a little lightning round-esque segment called The Last Word. We've got the verdict serving as the last piece of our pregame shows, and now we've got the last word to wrap up our recap shows. So like the verdict, we're going to go around and get each other's play of the game player of the game and overall grade for the team's performance we'll start with the play of the game and we'll get our start once again from casey wow two starts in a show dustin just just makes it wow uh play of the game uh i'm gonna make pierce's touchdown run it was incredible i know the obvious is gonna be tony where he you know went through 438 South Carolina defenders and scored. But I'm going to say Damian Pierce gets my play of the game on a touchdown run just because I think that gives the run game confidence um, going into the season. Yeah, the Tony one's got to be the obvious one. We're going to try to provide different perspectives and make you guys think a little more critically than just going obvious. So I'm going to say the field goal that Muschamp ordered late in the third quarter. Florida's defense was leaving the door open for a comeback and Muschamp pretty much said, nah, we're good and closed it with like 30 seconds to go in the third. I mean, dude, you're, you're down 24 points, which is three scores, you know, three touchdowns, three, two point conversions. Again, 28 seconds left in the third quarter. So there's 15 minutes and 28 seconds of game action left. You're probably not going to get the ball back more than three times anyway, given how naturally non-explosive your offense is. And it's fourth and two. It's not fourth and 32. It's fourth and two. And you've been getting the better of the play at the line of scrimmage. So you opt to go the course of cutting the lead from three touchdowns to still three touchdowns. I mean, that's, that, that's just flabbergasting to me, man. You, you, you've scored two touchdowns in three quarters and you're inside the Florida 30 and you think your offense is going to score three more touchdowns in the fourth quarter 
and your defense is going to pitch a shutout? Tur- turned out, in his defense, the defense did pitch a shutout the rest of the way, but you didn't know that at the time, and you certainly couldn't have guessed that given that you surrendered 38 points in the first three quarters. So when he did that, that told me, all right, this is done. It's over. They've got approximately zero intention of making this a game. We're 2-0. and Let's move on. Hey, you know what he was trying to do? Cover the spread. No. And overcome the adversity on the field. Even I mean, better. That's, that's all I got to say. That's all I got to say. Even better. <laughs> the play of the game, in my humble opinion, was, and I've already spoken about it, but the 26-yard reception by Trent Whitmore with about 30 seconds to go in the first quarter. So at that point, it was still basically a game. And after that reception, Kyle Pitts threw to Kyle Trask or (laughs) on ensuing play, Kyle Trask threw to Kyle Pitts for the 13-yard touchdown reception uh, for the the go-ahead touchdown to make it 14-7. But with with the game tied, uh, Trent Whit- Whitmore leaped in the air and caught that pass, and I really believe that cemented the uh, the offensive masterpiece that was to come for the next at least two and a half quarters from from that point. So you, you are really on the Trent Whitmore train, yeah. aren't you? Oh, I am. Okay. I'm I'm all I'm all the way on the Trent Whitmore train. I, I, hey, I'm not judging it. I'm just saying you are really all about this. Okay. Has was brought out in in, in his post game. Uh, he, he's called uh, white chocolate. Gotta love hopefully white chocolate. here's, here's hoping that he will produce more for the Florida Gators than the last guy we called white chocolate. Oh, he played yes. basketball. Ooh. I'm just going to leave it at that. That was low. Yeah. Leave that man alone. It's a low bar. That's what's yeah, low. Leave that man alone. All right. Living his All best right. life. So, so we got a play of the game. Let's go ahead and do our player of the game. Neil, you're first this time. Tony, it's got to be Tony. You can make a case for Whittemore. I think I'm going to let Dustin explain why he thinks Whittemore was. Uh, I know he's going to pick Whittemore, and it's a good pick, but I'm going Tony because Pitt's got a lot of attention from the Gamecocks. You could make a, a slightly lesser case for Trask. He didn't play his best game. He was fine, but Tony really showed out, and he did a great job of making – the Gamecocks looked pretty dumb, for lack of a better way to put that. He had a lot of folks buzzing after a strong showing against Mississippi, but one game doesn't really set a rule. Some people probably wondered if it was a fluke, and Tony proved that, no, it was not a fluke. He is really a different receiver this year than he has been throughout his career. He's running routes, he's blocking, and oh yeah, he's still extremely explosive, as we saw him make five cocky defenders miss. The guys probably should have brought their arms in in their attempts to tackle him, but nonetheless, that is his strength and his speed at work that made that touchdown happen. So he gets the game ball for me. You know what? You know what? I'm going to go in special teams. I'm going to go with Jake Finn for the player of the game. Yes! There you Jake go. Jake Finn! There you yes. go. <laughs> you, you got it. You, you there won. You go. Yes! I, you know, he's impressed me. Um, we're not using him. Darn right he did. Darn. Go for it. <laughs> Wow. Uh, yeah, Jake Finn. Um, I'm going to go with Jake Finn. Um, we haven't seen that much punting yet. I think we're going to be using him a lot more in the next week. Uh, but I'm going to go with Jake Finn uh, because his two punts were impressive and his one punt was impressive last week. And that shows me that we are in good hands post Townsend era. Good pick. I agree. 
I agree. Jacob Finn's been very consistent in the punt game. And uh, we need to do a be... shout out somewhere for Jake Finn so uh, he can hear that he's getting praise. You know, as, as Tommy Townsend would say, punters are people too. I like and it. Nick Delatore. Nick Delatore coined that. He wants yeah. to get a little, little, uh, little word in on that. So I cannot believe you guys did not go with the most obvious pick when it, came, when it comes to player of the game. I have to go with Kyle Trask. So yeah, mm, interesting. yeah. Trent Trent okay. Whitmore played well. had had two had two great catches. One of which was a touchdown. The other was my play of the game. But someone had to had to throw the passes to get it to Whitmore and Tony and Pitts and Grime. Kyle Trask was twenty one for for twenty nine, which is about seventy two percent. Threw for two hundred and sixty eight yards, four touchdowns. Yes, he had the interception. But that still works out to a 91.5 QBR, which is honestly phenomenal. On top of that, he had six carries for 22 yards, including a 19-yard long. I was very impressed with the way that Kyle Trask played and the, and the way that he bounced back um, even after the fumble he had. I would, I would go with Trask as the player of the game. So moving forward, let's go ahead and give grades. Yes. Casey, I know you working in the education business. I know you're very passionate about grades. What so a segue! What, wow. What what better what better opportunity? And Casey, you're actually gonna go first on this one. What better opportunity to talk about grades than right now? Let's go ahead and grade the offense, the defense, the special teams, and collectively the coaching for this particular game. And for the sake of our sanity, we're not going to talk about the coaching grade for South Carolina. We're only going to stick to the Gators in this one. So I'm going to give a solid B to offense just because we made some good plays, but we took the foot off the gas, and I don't know why. And that's going to be really throughout defense. I'm going to give a B minus, same reason. You cannot take your foot off the gas in an SEC game. It doesn't matter what the opponent is. I thought we played well. We did not play great. For special teams, I'm going to give a solid A. I thought solid A with Jacob Finn um, with his punts. I thought the kick returns, with especially with Tony growing up and realizing that you don't need to have that ESPN top 10 moment, that sometimes it's for the betterment of the team to wave it off. So special teams, I'm going to give an A to. Overall, I'm going to give a B just to the staff overall. I think we have some things to fix. Um, we need to work on motivation. We need to work on tackling. Um, and I think we really need to focus on making the run game even better than what we saw um, on Saturday. So solid B. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I'm going to go very similar to Casey. Offense, get to B for me. It was, it was fine. It wasn't what we saw against Mississippi. It was definitely an above average SEC offense that we saw. And I think it was not the final form of the offense. I think it will get better as the year goes along. Defense for me is the one where I'll really deviate from Casey the most. I'll give it a solid C, and I think that's being generous because I do not think that South Carolina has one of the better offenses in the SEC, and we just let them punish us up front when they had the ball. That that can't happen. We did make a few nice individual plays here and there, but overall that's not the kind of defensive performance that's going to win championships. Special teams gets an A. They did nothing wrong. Jacob Finn punted twice for 100 yards. Evan McPherson made his only field goal attempt. They did what they had to do. So A, coaching gets a B minus for me. 
I'm not sure what that QB run with Trask was for, even if he doesn't fumble. I don't know that that's the situation you do that in. Overall, I thought Brian Johnson called a solid game. Defensively, I don't really know that just rushing three guys every time is a formula for winning games against teams with lots of athletes. So, yeah, that's me. How about you, Dustin? So when we're when we're talking about grading the offense and the defense, I really want to set a bar. So Alabama played great against Texas A&M, and the final score was 52-24 to 24 in that game. That should have been the score against South Carolina. There's, there's really no reason why the Gators couldn't have put uh, two more touchdowns on the board. And the reason why they didn't was because of two turnovers. So anytime you're turning over the ball twice, it, it's hard to give an above average grade. So I'm going to give a C, a solid C Damn. for the offense. And as far as the defense, I'm also going to give a C. I believe the defense played pretty well, considering that they – they had 80, 83 play, plays ran against them, but there's a reason why you're run, why you have 83 plays ran against them. The, the, the defense could not get South Carolina off the field, and that is that is a, a, a primary responsibility of the defense to get the the opponent offense off the field so your offense can be on the field. Obviously, it's passable. The Gators won. It wasn't a fail of a day on either side, but it was it was very clear. Um, that there's room for improvement. I agree with, with Neil. They will improve. Special teams, A, I don't need to say much more about that in coaching. I'm going to give a solid B- minus in that category. Neil pretty much summed up every single point that I would make. So if you want to know what I think, just rewind it a minute and a half and you'll hear what he said. So any other thoughts before we, we conclude today? Will Muschamp, thank you for somehow managing to stay in the SEC and ruining another program and giving us what should be a free win every year. Well, right. that's that's on me, and uh, we'll get it fixed. Do you know where the midline is? Okay, didn't, didn't think so. Spurs up! With the adversity on the field! <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys, it's on to beat Jimbo. All right, Neil and Casey, thank you for sharing your thoughts on the South Carolina game. That's all we've got for today. Remember, moving forward, we do plan to do two separate shows per week, one on Monday to recap the previous game and one on Wednesday to preview the upcoming game. So on Wednesday, we'll be releasing a new show that focuses on Florida's upcoming game against Texas A&M in College Station. Until then, stay safe and healthy. And if you enjoy our show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. We're still in our infancy, and we'd really appreciate that as we continue to grow. Anyway, that's our show. See you Wednesday. And as always, go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators.